Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's nothing like some nice, stringy, uh, defensive Dallas Stars hockey on on an icy February night, isn't there, Justin? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I mean, it really gets you going. Oh, it sure does. It gets the juices flowing. Uh, it, it, it's great. Nothing nothing like some entertaining hockey uh, by the Dallas Stars, the, the league's stingiest team. And they definitely proved that against the Leafs tonight. A 3-2 loss. Uh, not too many shots. Not too many offensive real chances. Not too much goaltending from the Leafs side. We're going to break that all down. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from tonight? Uh, yeah, just on the game, I guess. I mean, the Maple Leafs got... You know, one over on the Stars a couple weeks ago. It's difficult for them to to do that twice, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we kind of knew what we were getting once once Dallas got to the lead. It was going to be sort of shut down all the way after that. And I think things are difficult on the Leafs when they're chasing games. I think there's a lot of little elements under Sheldon Keefe that, you know, it's obviously been something that's gotten a little bit more out of their offense. But I think the way he wants to the Leafs to play makes things a little bit difficult when they are down or chasing games or what, however you want to put it. I think the biggest example of that is sort of what we've seen in transition breakdowns where guys are covering the point and there's a lapse in you know communication or judgment or what have you, and the Leafs were sort of giving up all those uh, offense or odd man rushes rather uh, in sort of the early months and weeks under Keefe. I think that's sort of quieted down mm-hmm. a little bit. But there was another example of that today. Jake Muzzin in the post game said that there's a disconnect tonight between the forwards and the defensemen. And that's because they are deciding in real time on the ice uh, whether or not they're going to go fast or going to go slow. And tonight, 
what Keefe said was, acknowledging what Muzzin said, that they just kept running into the wall, which Dallas provided. And that's because they could, because they were up. So there's little things like that. If you're pressing all the time, they're going to run into trouble getting out of the zone. And if you're pressing all the time, like we've seen in the first couple weeks and months, uh, when you're in the offensive zone, it could lead to trouble too. So it just underscores the importance of not giving up early goals. We're going to get into that, obviously. Uh, But just the Leafs are a far better team when they have the lead or they're, you know, equal or, or what have you, because there's a little associated hazards with playing the way that they do. I was just about to say, you know, it's, it's a great thing that, you know, the Leafs, life is difficult for the Leafs when they're chasing leads. Good thing they never have to chase the game. They always start every period on time and they always come out at, for, with a big lead to, to start off a game and a period and life is just easy for them. Not tonight. Yeah, no, it's, this was, Dallas scored on the first shot of every period. Yeah. The Leafs have surrendered the, the game's first goal on their opponent's first shot seven times this season. This is this is the seventh time. Um, I don't know what is going on here. I don't know what they need to do to be able to. Th- and this wasn't just a this wasn't just a Keith problem. This was this was incredibly apparent under Babcock too. Well, we heard him say "start on time" about a million times in his tenure. So yes, it was definitely a problem. Before. Yes, it also the Babcock era feels like a decade ago. It was crazy, but this was like this is still a problem. This is a, on the players. I don't know what they have to do. I don't know. If I, 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 I can't even come up with a joke for this. I just don't even know. Like, this is a very odd, very weird thing to do, um, a, w- a weird pattern to see, especially like right now. No, every single point matters. We say this every episode. They're fighting for their playoff lives, despite the fact that they're in a spot right now that could vanish in a two game losing streak right there. They're only one point up on the Panthers right now. and The Panthers have a game in hand. So it's I don't understand how you come out in an important game like this in your own building. I know there are a lot of guys fighting um, illnesses and injuries, and we're going to get into that. But at the same time, this is an important game. This is a crucial game. Every game is crucial. You have your starter back in net. Just show up when the buzzer sounds, when the puck drops, play hockey. And they didn't. This is, and it was like, it wasn't even the fact that they gave up goals in the first minute. It was that. It just looked like this team was so discombobulated. The second period, there was a complete breakdown to start the second period where they let in a breakaway goal or a two-on-one goal off the draw to Radic Faxa. Then immediately after that, Justin Hall takes a stick infraction penalty. Then they kill off that penalty. And then like two seconds after the penalty is done, they take a bench minor for too many men. Like this is not just a player thing. This is also a staying to the coaches, but it's mainly on the players. I don't know what... I, I, I'm at a lot... Usually we try and come on here and provide solutions to problems at least i don't know what the solution for this is because it, it, this is is this a between the ears thing is this a system thing is this i i don't know all told if you take the five minutes of each period the first five minutes of each period three goals against tonight three minor penalties taken and only two shots recorded in those 15 minutes so that just sort of illustrates how bad the starts of their periods were and it sort of leads me back to my other point i mean the two goals the first the goal in the first period and the goal in the second period are both instances of how things are difficult when they're ch- chasing games obviously they weren't chasing the game on the first one but that was an example of jake muzzin getting sort of uh, uh confused or or what have you with what john tavares was intending to do mm-hmm. and they let a player Gurianov, get uh below them and obviously uh, he was able to convert on what was a very 
Uh, I mean, not the ideal spot for Frederick Anderson to take his first shot of the game and a like, sort of partial breakaway. But then you mentioned the second one where there was a there was a mix-up at the blue line with yep. Austin Matthews covering uh, for the pinching defenseman. He didn't read it in time, and uh, Travis Dermott stepped up, and then the puck got flipped out to center, and, and Matthews wasn't there to win the race with uh, Radic Faxa, I believe it, it was, was. It was Faxa, yeah. It so, was just, uh, so, I mean, it's all sort of connected. Our, our two takeaways are, are connected in that sense is that uh, they they ran into mistakes that are going to happen when you are playing a team that can sit back defensively and, and be comfortable there and hit you back uh, when they see the opportunity. Uh, but it's 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 all goes back to these terrible starts and they just didn't have anything in the first five minutes of every period. Uh, and when you allow a goal in the first five minutes of every period, it's, it's difficult to win hockey games. And they they lost by one goal tonight. Exactly. And, you know, they, they, the three goals that they allowed were all came in the first minute or the first 90 seconds, I guess, of each period. And at the end of the game, wouldn't it be so nice when Zach Hyman gets that goal? It's Zach Hyman. You know, we praised him to, to you know, wit's end on last epi- on last podcast, and a- as we should have. He's been fantastic. But when he gets that goal in the, last so- in the last minute of the game or with a minute left, wouldn't it be nice to be a tie game instead of having to chase the lead again? Like, they're, they're, every single goal matters here. And when you come out of the second period – you just if you just use your like honestly if you just use your brain you're not chasing you're not chasing the game to that extent it just these are simple things that a professional hockey team needs to be able to do and when the, when your season's on the line every night you can't be making these mistakes and and Keith seems pretty you know not super thrilled about it uh, his points his his quotes after the game tonight were pretty pointed um, I don't know. That's just the way they read. You were there, so I'm not sure. No, yeah, some of them for sure. So uh, it's, I mean, there's a lot of like. He's he's a realist in that sense. Like yeah. he's, he didn't go overboard, but he, I mean, he mentioned at one point that you know if this mistake doesn't happen, but if we get that save, yeah, the he, game is going to be dramatically different. And yeah, getting that save is like one of those it perks you up when you hear that from yeah. a coach because Especially rarely about Anderson too. Rarely they they sort of just leave goaltenders to their own yeah like they just let them they be. leave them their own devices like they're they let them be thing. they don't call them out unless yeah. something's pretty drastic so i thought that was at least i mean i think everyone sort of perked up uh when he when he said that but i think that's just him telling the truth i think if there was a save on either one of those goals in the uh in the first and second period that the game would have been different uh one of the big storylines coming into the game other than frederick anderson making his return after i guess it was a four game absence it feels like so much four and a half game absence because Hutchinson got one start. And of course, Jack Campbell, everyone's favorite son got three, the most wholesome human being on the planet. You see, you obviously saw his quote before the game about happy. He's so happy to be on the bench to show his teammates how much he can congratulate them by being on the bench. And I I didn't get to see any of the tapping because, uh, you know, he wasn't playing, uh, but apparently there was tapping on the bench and that's great. I love the Campbell tapping. But other than that, the Mm -hmm. biggest thing going on was the, Matthews, Marner, Nylander line getting their second spin under Keefe. It did not last very long. Yeah, we're done with that, right? Like it's I over? think we are. I mean, I think yeah. there's other situational factors. Uh, Keefe was asked about it, obviously, uh, and he said it's probably going to be difficult to do it because of Andreas Janssen, who is probably going to miss some time, and that just sort of changes the the dynamic and what the what he can do with his is his pieces uh, without him. Um, mm-hmm. He probably has to spread the talent around a little bit more. Uh, because of his absence, but I don't think he was too keen on it anyway because he gave up on it before the halfway mark of the, of the second period. I mean, kind of as he should. He he talked a lot about how the you know the attempts were. He said fourteen to three. I think they were ten to one. Ten that... to one on natural stat trick. Uh, I think they do their own thing. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, with the assistant coaches and stuff. So I, I will trust what he said because they do their own mm-hmm. uh, analysis of each period. And they would probably know better than we would, or at least better. Natural Statrix is a great site. It I would be out of a job without it, really, because it, it aids everything I write. But I, I'm going to trust the internal stuff on their part. But shot times were 10 to 1 in favor. But, and you noted this on Twitter, um, we only got one shot on that. Actually, they didn't. I did that. I read oh. it wrong. They actually... Uh, it, the stars got a shot in that condition. So Roman Polak was nine percent possession <laughs> in the first period, playing primarily against that line, which is crazy. I mean, I don't know if Rick Bonus was just well, he wanted that, or he was just you know, I'm just gonna let the uh, the matchups go as is. You go either and just way let, with Bonus, and let uh, you know Sheldon Keith whatever have whatever he likes. Uh, but yeah, nine percent. But the only shot that actually reached the target. Uh, when Polak was on against Matthews uh, was one in favor of the stars, which is pretty crazy. So Keith said, uh, you know, he, he acknowledged that uh, they had some pretty dominant possession. They were buzzing. They were building towards something perhaps, uh, but they weren't able to get anything into the, into the middle slot area and really get a good uh, chance at goal, which I guess is a credit to Roman Polak in some sense. Um, but there was, you know, it was it was coming together maybe, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he did pull the trigger on the change because uh, he said everything else wasn't going. And of course the injury to Janssen complicated matters. They just don't look like I I understand with the, the name recognition, there's expectations, but they just don't look remarkable. I know that I know that they outshot their opponent a lot. I know that, you know, the attempts were X and X and, and, you know, I, I guess on, on paper, it looked like a, a very decent, a very effective line, but they just, at what cost, you know? Like, it, it seems it seems like putting those three together is great in the last minute of a game, or it's great to end a period, or it's great to, to you know, finish off on uh, the next shift after a PK. But putting them together on one line at this point, it doesn't, like, we've, we've gone over this last, our last podcast as well, but it didn't really make sense, and they just look, they just look unremarkable. Like, they're not... They're not making these noticeable plays that you'd expect these three otherworldly skilled players to make. And to be honest, like I'm, I'm glad that Keith kind of pulled the trigger on it. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't working to the effect that he clearly wanted it to be. He wanted it to be a doomsday weapon, and it was only kind of a, it's only kind of like a bazooka, which is fine. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the the end all be all. Um, and, and that was really interesting. And now, especially, and we're gonna get into the Andreas Janssen's injury. There's a lot of questions on this lineup. There's a lot of moving pieces, so it's gonna be really interesting to kind of break that down. Yeah, I mean, I think they sort of will revert back to what they had, but back to back to that mm-hmm. uh, that top line, uh, I guess the young money line, as it's being called <laughs> by some people, uh, is there's a missing element there. I mean, there's we talked about the like mindedness between Travis Dermott and Tyson Berry mm-hmm. and why that might not be working is because they're two similar players. Well, Mitch Marner and William Nylander, while different. Um, in a lot of ways, are similar in a lot of ways as well. I think their and end what, goals are the same, right? And what, yeah, their end yeah. goals are the same, but they are also not Zach Hyman. They are not the player that's going to go... I mean, I, I love the way William Nylander uses his stick to uh, d- dispossess the opposition every now and then, but that's not a reliable way to continue to get the puck mm-hmm. in advantageous spots for Austin Matthews. The reliable way to do that would be to use your body to dig in to get into the corners and dig pucks out. And I just don't think they have that added element. That puck retrieval uh, uh, element is missing. And I just don't think they have second chance opportunities. If it doesn't work the first time, especially against a stingy defense, it's hard for them to keep it going. There was some sustained pressure against the stars, but uh, I just don't think they were able to really 
make the best of that possession because they didn't have that that added element and it was really the Dallas Stars did a really good job of just keeping them at the perimeter and not letting uh not forcing the tie-ups the scrambles it just sort of stayed neutral uh and I think that's because you have three players or two players at least on the wings that are pretty similar in what they're doing out there you're right and and the one thing that I noticed at least from this team kind of uh, uh outside of the the sort of lineup combinations is is that when they want to flip a switch they really can I mean again we're going to get into the whole you know Kyle Clifford fight but after that fight they looked like a different team they were they were you know sort of depleting or, or, or trailing in shots uh, I think it was nine to three midway through the second period then Clifford and Alexiak duked it out and the Leafs went back and were leading I think it was uh 13 to 11 or something in the next two minutes like they really really poured it on and it kind of goes to show it. it's a, it's a reminder that this is a good hockey team this is a good hockey team. They have the good. They have good pieces. They're just these little sort of stumbling blocks or these little like sort of pitfalls on the path to becoming a great hockey team that they just keep tripping over. And it's like we said, it's it's the it's the like mindedness between between the forwards that kind of doesn't gel very well. It's the 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 disconnect that Jake Muzzin pointed out um, between the forwards and defense. It's the starting periods on time. It's the getting the occasional save. And they've had horrific goaltending lately like they they have other than jack campbell i mean they frederick anderson and michael hutchinson have been like well 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 below replacement level lately and they've still managed to kind of claw these points out so that's pretty commendable but there there's a lot of work to do with this team especially one that's this talented and they show it in these flashes and i think that's what makes at least fans just a little more frustrated at the result because if they lost in a normal you know, deflating way. It's like whatever. You kind of get numb to it, or you resign to it. It's fine, and all oh, the process. It's better, whatever. But when, but when you you start slow like this, when your your top sort of uh, mechazord line doesn't perform like the mechazord you wanted to, and then your goaltender, who's supposed to be an all-world goaltender, doesn't give you anything, anything, then you get a little annoyed. I can see that, and I can understand the sort of. This, the the boiling frustrations on Twitter right now. Yeah, I don't know if I completely agree with you that they were able to flip a switch. I mean, a lot of people, we're going to get into Clifford, I guess, a little mm-hmm. bit later, but a lot of people were, I mean, the, the players themselves were very eager to, you know, uh, heap praise on Clifford for obviously stepping up and donating his hand and punching the face of Jamie <laughs> Alexiak. Um, but I think the only real change we had was the lineup change in response to Janssen going out. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ka- Sperry Kapanen, again, I think for the second straight game, he was the second best player for the Leafs behind Austin Matthews. Yeah. He got bumped up to that second line. I thought he brought a spark there. And obviously Hyman moving up to the top line, I think got a little bit more out of Austin Matthews, who was really buzzing in, in the second and third period. So uh, as I, I don't know if the Clifford thing really did that much. I don't know if they just sort of got it together at a you know sort of simultaneous to that Uh, I just think two players were going and they found a way to sort of get the most out of those two players by putting them in better situations Uh, because and it's really hard to to be too critical uh, to the Leafs I guess in this in this instance because I think Dallas was in the perfect position to be Dallas but I, I I don't know I just didn't I just didn't see the spark I didn't see them really turn it up uh, I just saw a couple players doing their thing and it, it kind of changed the game because Keith went to them and gave them more of an opportunity to be uh, as great as they were in that game. See, but that's not a fun narrative though. 
No, it's not. No. See, you, it the, wasn't even fun to say. <laughs> it really, I, you were in a lot of pain. I can see <laughs> yeah. you were just gritting it, was it out there. while that happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, as much as I, okay, maybe maybe flipping a switch is a little dramatic, but they played demonstrably better. And I can tell you, like, at least on the as it looked on the broadcast, that fight was a, a turning point for, for a bit. We'll get into the fight in a lot more detail, but um, we touched on the goaltending. Let's get more into this now. Uh, is there a... Is there a goaltending controversy brewing? I mean, no. You have to ask the question. We might be the first to ask, and I know everyone's waiting for we it. We are now, ask, yeah. So we're uh, we're first. We're already mainstream media here on the Live Laugh Leafs podcast. Uh, no, I, I no. I, listen, uh, Frederick Anderson. I mean, it's all about ups and downs. He is a roller coaster. It's there, been a lot of downs, and, though. And what it is is like these long, prolonged dives and then gradual increases, and it kind of goes like that, right? He's a he's a player that is really at his best when he is locked into his routine. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not really surprised that I don't I don't know if he looks sloppy. He, he does. He look gave sloppy. up. He gave up two goals that were on breakaway, partial breakaway. And then I don't think he really had a chance on the third. It was a little bit of a breakdown, a little bit of a... Was this uh, Frederick Anderson in it or Michael Hutchinson? Yeah, I'm making what? excuses yeah. for him. No, I mean... No, I know. It's 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 difficult. I mean, it's the perfect situation to ask this question because Jack Campbell is coming off three games in which he got five points. If Frederick Anderson was playing that, f- that first game against Anaheim, we'd probably be all over him for getting them into that position they were in where they mm-hmm. were scrapping to get two points off a team, a bad team that had played the night re- before. It's but then we praised, right now. we praised uh, Campbell for his effort in that game. Uh, I, I think he's, but this, the, the circumstances are different for him. And I think we have to look at him differently. He's supposed to perform better than Jack Campbell. So if he's not, he it's right that he gets criticized for it. I just think that this is a, this is a guy who's always brutal right out of the shoot, right? And he always, you know, there's a lull where it takes him a little while to get out of. But he is locked into when he's locked into his routine, when he's playing a lot, when he's playing on a good schedule, he is usually a really good goaltender. And I think we should let him get it back into that schedule before we ask that question, at least. And we should probably wait until Jack Campbell's adrenaline wears off and we may maybe see a little dark side, a little bit less of a. I mean, we're never going to see his dark side, let's be honest, but we might see. You know, eventually we're going to see what happens when he loses, when he doesn't have a great start, and then, then uh, maybe, you know, we're not asking that question. We're asking questions of Campbell. I don't know, but I, I just don't think we have uh, any reason yet. And we, you know, there's other factors coming up at play: his contract status, uh, the expansion draft, whatever. What, how Jack Campbell plays? It's just not a question for me yet. Yeah, it, look, there's not a goaltender controversy here. Like, let's kind of put that to bed. A lot. We we are the first to ask, and we're going to be the first to put it to bed. It'll but, be asked a lot tomorrow, though. Oh, it will. Oh, are you kidding me, man? It's going to be everyone driving to work or driving home from work tomorrow is going to get an earful of Frederick Anderson. Is he washed? They're going to have the conversation we had about Phil, Phil Kessel last week. Um, or not last week. Whoa, time is a construct. It was on Tuesday. Anyway, cool. um, but do the Leafs, to play devil's advocate, I guess, do the Leafs have the time to let Frederick Anderson get back into his rhythm? Because you said it takes him a bit to get in there. But again... In a, in a playoff race as tight as this, do you have time to put a team in front of a goaltender who is stopping like 87% of his shots and kind of let that ride and hope that he, that he gets back to his normal self in time to, to secure these points? Or is it better in the moment? Because again, we talked all last all on Tuesday about how this is a win-now team. 
And if you want to do that on the real micro level, Jack Campbell is the hot hand. Do you start him now? Do you ride that hot hand? The, the, the thing is, like, you can't marry yourself to one because you need both. I mean, just this weekend, they have a back-to-back. They're going to be playing both yes. goaltenders. So I think you need both of them to get right, which is probably going closer to a 70-30, 65-35 split mm-hmm. than an 80-20 where it's Campbell, you know, he's sort of falling into that same trap that other backups have where they're just starting every three, four weeks. And they just – it's it's a really d- difficult situ- situation to be in when you can't – when you're just trying to find your bearings every time you're in net. So uh, I think because the schedule is so busy, both of them are going to be used and you have to get both of them right. Mm-hmm. I have more time for putting Freddie Anderson out there than experimenting with a line of Matthews, Marner, and Nylander yeah. a second time when it didn't work the first time. Uh, I think the games are, or obviously the games and the points are too important to be too experimental at this point. Uh, but I know you have to have both goalies right now and that means playing Frederick Anderson. That's well said. There you go. I like that. I like saying that better than what I said before. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> um, Andreas Janssen. He's yeah. he's not we're not gonna see a lot of him. This has been a brutal year for Andreas Janssen. More L T I R options? Yeah, I, hey, I have it in there. Okay. I have it in there. You're getting ahead of me. Come on. Sorry, sorry. But uh no, it's Fred look, he this is his third leg related injury this season. He's been on he's already been on L T I R for a leg injury in December he just came back he was just getting himself back in order we we opened this podcast when we debuted it talking about how Andreas Janssen has not you know sort of gotten back to his normal self immediately after he came back from injury and now he's right back on the shelf again yeah and this was a a good situation this was friendly fire too this was you know this was him colliding with Kasperi Kapanen and this what what a horrible year for him. Thank goodness he signed a long-term extension, at least for himself, because if this was a contract year, yeah, he would not be making a lot of money. So, Chris Johnson says that the injury is not going to be short-term. No. This this is also a knee injury. If it's not going to be short-term, this could even be like we don't know yet. We're probably going to get more info tomorrow even. This could be an ACL. This could be something pretty serious. We might not see Andreas Johnson in the playoffs. I mean, this 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 is being treated right now like not too much. Like even your first reaction and my first reaction too as well was, oh, LTIR money. But Andreas Janssen is a pretty good hockey player. And this could be a guy we don't see until next season. Yeah, I mean, obviously losing Janssen is not ideal. Uh, it's not ideal either if he's out for two to four weeks and he needs two weeks to get back to his normal yeah. self like we've seen. Um, I don't know what the best case scenario is obvious, you know, it's a minor sprain or what have you, and he's out seven to 10 days and can probably get back and be himself for the playoffs. Um, but I don't think it's all bad. I mean, it's not. I, I'm looking at Pierre Engvall on the fourth line and I'm thinking, well, he's underutilized. So let's get him back in a spot where he can make more of an impact. Uh, we saw changes to the lineup in response to the injury that I thought worked that we mentioned earlier. Uh, but in particular, Kasperi Kapanen moving on to the second line when he was sort of he's been locked into the third line ever since he failed to be the replacement for Zach Hyman earlier in the year. So I, I don't think it this is like a crushing loss in the immediate term. Uh, but you obviously have to know what what it means for the future and what it means before the trade deadline because we're looking at how many pieces. I mean, we're looking at about you know between twelve and fourteen million dollars of money that's just not being used right now between Riley 
himself and Cody Cece? Well, it, it depends. Like I was, I was doing the math on this, and, and the biggest sticking point here is I think they they are under the impression that Cece is going to be out at least until the playoffs, mm-hmm. so they they don't have to worry about his money coming back. He's going to be reevaluated in a month, uh, retroactive, like earlier this week. I have a feeling they're not going to be rushing Cody Cece back from injury. No, I, I think the odds are that one of these guys comes back early is not going to be ready like guaranteed yeah so there's going to be money to play with but but i'm saying like the biggest debate right now is riley because dubis has said himself even that he's like he's really going to wait until we know about what what's going on with morgan riley and that was going to be the biggest biggest sort of determination or determinator of whether or not they're going to have that money to use at the deadline and now you have 3.4 million on andreas Janssen right added to that pool so you could eat. So that's and Morgan Riley makes five million. There's not a lot of difference between that. So even if so now you could possibly even because they were going to wait until the deadline, like they said, to even make any moves to right. sort of understand where their their health was at like a day before. You don't have to wait that long now because you have three point four million, which is only you know one point six off what you were going to do with Riley. And if that's one point six to be the difference, then okay, fine, then you wait. But they have a lot; they they can act it with a lot more urgency now. And we know that Dubis likes to make moves before the deadline. This could have accelerated their timeline. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, it, there's a potential that you don't know really the injury status clearly on all three. I think that's a possibility. Yeah. I think I believe they said that Riley's going to be reevaluated next week, and they're going to have a good idea of of mm-hmm. what what's what's happening moving forward. Um, but. I mean, this is obviously the smallest sample, just the reaction uh, in the, the way their game changed when he went out. But I do believe that they can only have two of the three middle-class workers on this roster yeah. being Kappen and Janssen and, and, and Kerfoot oh. moving forward. Because Engvall got more money. Justin Hall got more money. Jason Spezza, if he wants to come back, he could command more money if he wants to. He did say that money Travis Dermott is getting anymore. more money. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't expect Spezza to, to command too much to more, but all the guys that were pending unrestricted or restricted free agents, Ilya Mikheyev might get more money. He will get more money. So there, it's going to run out in short order. And then when you, when you're looking, when you're comparing Engvall to the middle class or Mikheyev, I think one of those guys has to go eventually Yeah, for it, for the money to make sense or for them to have the opportunity to make the money work while adding to the blue line. So and Janssen uh, was should have been that guy. That's the thing. Janssen should have been the guy too. No, I th- like to leave. Like to, to go. Oh, you think he like, should be the guy? Like you said, there's only the, you know there can only be a couple here. Like one's gonna have to leave. You said there, and and I agree 100. percent And I think Janssen would have been it. Like I think that he's the most sort of expendable of, uh, other than Kerfoot. But I think you like you only had half a season of Kerfoot. We don't know how, what. But I think in terms of value and production and like sort of replaceability i think Janssen was the perfect trade candidate i keep wavering on this between the three and i i i I don't know i don't think i think i'll always go back and forth but i i still maintain that plus qualities belong to casper capital yes absolutely plus physicality plus speed he he brings a little bit more from a top end uh standard i guess uh and if i was thinking actually the way he's playing again tonight he might be playing himself out of a leaf sweater because he's playing so well that he might just pique the interest of someone who might be desperate for a, a top six forward. We know that the Oilers love Kasperi Kapanen. A lot of teams are seem to be infatuated with him. So I think I think I always whether the debate between the three is what it is, but I will always believe that he would bring back the biggest return. Absolutely. And I think I'd also be 
when he's on, I would be disappointed to see him go because I think he brings something that they do lack uh, and a little bit more when he's right and he's not always right than the other two. Well, I, I tweeted this out during the game too, though. Like he, he, he did play a very good game. This is a second consecutive very good game opposed to him looking not, – not even looking lost, not looking like anything from yeah, December. I mean, this has been January a very 2nd. pedestrian year for him. And like this recent stretch, um, Tuesday was his first goal since January 2nd. Yeah. And like we said, like the the world has changed a lot since January 2nd. Like that's <laughs> a lot amount of time. Yeah. Um, and if Kasper Kapanen did what he did or played or looked or whatever, exuded the energy that he did tonight every night, there's, he wouldn't be included in daily trade rumors. We wouldn't be talking about him. He wouldn't be lumped into this middle-class working situation because he thinks, I think, in his mind that he's not a middle-class guy. He thinks that he's a lo- among the the Matthews and Marners and Elanders. You can see by the stuff he tries sometimes, and it doesn't go for him. But he's like, I, I got it. At the same time, I, I'm very, very cautious of trading someone with an elite skill, and he has elite speed. I think, hot take here, like I think he's the second fastest forward in the league behind McDavid. No one can catch this guy. He's a like he's he's a finished flash, the new one. Not in terms of scoring seventy two goals, yeah. and that will be dunked on me forever. But um, he's I'm very hesitant of trading away a guy that has an elite skill if you're not going to get a very prime asset back. The biggest thing with him is he has to re- realize that that's his elite skill. We saw him drive to the net and draw a penalty on Miro Heiskanen, yeah, one of the best skaters, one of the best skaters in the league, probably a better like. In terms of, you know, Kasper Kapanen's obviously an elite straight-line guy. Yeah. But Miro Heiskanen might be one of the best overall skaters in the entire league. His lateral movement And he forced nuts. him into into a penalty. I mean, if if he – if it's like, you know, 9 out of 10, he's doing – when it's not a clear path to the net, he's doing the stop, up, and curl. He needs to change that to a 3 or 4 out of 10 because if mm-hmm. he just puts his head down and goes, good things are going to happen. That stop, up, and curl is – it's becoming to me. It's becoming the new Barry Point shot. Like <laughs> the Barry Point shot was the Barry Point shot <laughs> two nights ago. <laughs> okay, the Barry Point shot still the Barry Point shot. But I mean, this guy, like, it is just it, it's it comes back. We should do a segment called "Do the Leafs Watch Film," because mm-hmm. it's one of those things where these these players have these tendencies that are so ingrained. For oh, re- you can you can pick it up way like two strides before it's going to happen you yeah know it's going to happen and it's not just because we do a podcast breaking down every intricate detail of every leafs game like if you're an opponent doing a pre-scout on any of these guys you know exactly what to tell your players what they're going to do you know that tyson that to get in tyson barry's way because he's still going to fire it you know to get it, you know to to clamp down on on capping him when he's going down the boards because he's going to curl back you mm. know these things I don't mind it so much when William Nylander does it because I just think he's a little bit... He's more creative. He's more creative and he's a better vision and he has a better chance to spot someone, an elite player he plays with better players. He does so it with that, his head up. That helps him as well. But when Kapanen does it, it, it leads nothing. The best possible scenario, if men are back for the opposition, is that it just gets you know floated into the, the boards for someone to chase anyway. Like it, yeah. it is very unproductive and he can... The Leafs complain all the time and they, they have a right to complain after tonight. Uh, about penalties called in their favor because oh, it was it was, it was a joke tonight. Yeah, uh, it just it was not just at all. Uh, but if Kasperi Kapanen just goes to the net when he has the puck, uh, he could even some of that out by himself. Uh, let's go on to the Clifford fight. Yes, this was on a my bit. favorite part of the game. Favorite part of the game uh, for you. This is sort of the first thing Kyle Clifford's done. <laughs> Other in than a hold few the stick games. Yeah, he hasn't exactly had this you know massive impact. 
but if you listen to the players tonight, they they'll say him. he had quite the impact today. This, okay, I want to clarify, like, fighting is bad and dangerous, and, and it's slowly, you know, being filtered out of the game for good reason, but watching this made me turn into a caveman for a second. Like, yeah. this was... I mean, we can't help ourselves. No. Sometimes. It, my, my lizard brain took over, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And this was going up against Jimmy Alexiak, who is a wall of a human being. Like, the guy is just... He Monster. Is, he is, I think, 6'6", six, 6'8", six, six, even. He's a very... He's one of the, like, very, like absurdly tall players in the nhl i think you at the average six seven okay all right you're wow you got howard uh i did write it down but now i forgot what i wrote but i'm pretty sure you uh you know we're doing uncut gems you, over sam- here. you gonna, sandwiched it you're gonna take the take the middle okay but no but like <laughs> the fact that clifford's not a huge guy there isn't he like six three or something like he's like like ben, um ben alexia's got some inches on him and clifford won that fight like Clifford, that was that was there were he had, a, he had a couple stiff stiff punches. He got punched in the neck too, which is the worst place <laughs> to be punched. Ask, like ask Brendan Gallagher what it's like to be it, struck in the neck. It's just like nothing makes sense after you get punched in the neck. It's just so you don't get to claim the you don't get the cool shiner of getting punched in the face, but you also it also hurts. It's just it's just a bad place to get punched. But he the bruised windpipe is harder to sell in a. Uh, it just looks like a hickey. It's just <laughs> bad. Like it's it's not good. But uh, but this was a this was, uh, look, if you're gonna fight, I in my humble opinion, this was the perfect time to do it. And and Friedman Ellie Friedman brought up a really good point on the broadcast. And usually these old you know back in my day kind of stories make me roll my eyes. But he said that I can't remember the exact coach. I think it was Bob Murray said that any if you're if his team was up by two goals or more than two goals, you weren't allowed to fight because you let by if you lose that fight, you let the opponent back into the game. And that's right. exactly what the stars did. If you if this fight doesn't happen, this is a three nothing or three one victory. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm completely convinced on that part. It was this type of fight that I don't like. Like, I'm all for if things get heated in game and things just happen. That looked I, pretty heated. I don't like. No, that was a staged fight, though. Yeah. It was agreed upon before the draw. I mean, he switched sides with whoever the winger was. I believe it was Auberg at the time. Like, they switched so oh, that yeah. he could get there earlier. They they brokered the deal before the puck was dropped, and I don't love those because, I don't know, it's it's separate from the game. I'm fine when it's in the game and it's reactionary and things just happen. That's cool. Um, but you know what? It, it meant something to the Leafs, I guess. It meant something to the crowd who doesn't get to see that ever, and they, like you and me, can turn into cavemen sometimes. Yeah. So uh, they enjoyed it. The players – Obviously, you're not going to, you know, hammer a new guy for or not, you know, heap praise on him because uh, it's an opportunity to, you know, be kind to a new player and to show him that you appreciate what he did. So everyone was very complimentary and they loved what he did and so on and so forth. And they said that it was the turning point of the game, even though it didn't completely turn. Um, But you know what? You have here that Clifford like hurt his hand a little bit. Mm-hmm. My first thought was... I thought he broke it. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of his season because <laughs> he broke his hand in his first fight, which was staged and probably and was largely meaningless because the Leafs lost anyway. Uh, but I think he'll be fine, and you know we'll probably see that a few more times because we'll probably see the Leafs trailing a few more times this season. Oh, they're not going to hold the lead up from here until... It's not going to be wire to wire from the, here on in, no. Dang it. Wow. Well, it, I you know what? I, again, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of fighting in general. I, I think it's, like you said, like I think it, like stage fight specifically. But this one just hit different. I don't know why. Like this one was. Because it was Kyle Clifford. Cause it, well, yes, because it was Kyle Clifford. I can also understand why that guy has no teeth now. 
because yeah. he gets punched in the face a lot. But also, uh, this look, th- this this kind of stuff matters in dressing rooms. Like like players, when you're in the heat of the moment, when you're when you're a brotherhood, when you're together, <laughs> you know, when you're ride or die, like having a guy go out there and be willing and like I said, donate his hand to to your winning cause because that that's exactly what he did. He went there and he sacrificed probably his right hand for the winning cause. And in a moment, it worked. Like it, they didn't extend that that sort of flip switch but there was a there was a brief moment where they went out there they drew a penalty then they scored a power play goal and they kind of went from there this was this was this was a a a tide changer for a very very brief minute and sometimes not this game but sometimes all you really need is the tide to change for a brief minute like Kyle Clifford kind of gave them some energy and if you're looking for for like as much as it's a third pairing defenseman, Jamie Lexiak was out against that against the the money line, the young money line. So yeah, not a great great trade for the Leafs. I think you want Lexiak out there as much as possible. That's true. That I was about I was about to say <laughs> I was about to say it would be nice to get him off, but then I'm realizing ooh no, nine percent possession. That means more Heiskinen, more yeah. uh, Klingberg, Lindell. Uh, they have a decent decent decor there. No, they're pretty good, but they are playing two guys who are, you know, cavemen like. Yeah. A lot. That but, was that was the last fight I can remember a Leaf player like instigating and winning since like Matt Martin. I haven't seen anything like that in a long time. But I will say this: that is one way to get the bench going. But we need, or Kyle Clifford needs, more ways to get the bench yes, going. Yes, he does. Uh, he can't do that. You know, he could do that every game if he wants. He'll it's probably die, not going to last long. Uh, but from a shift to shift, on a shift to shift basis, at least he needs to find other ways. Whether it be a big hit, whether it be you know just some a grinding shift a battle on the boards he needs to find other ways to contribute because that is not sustainable uh and you're not going to find a partner every night and he has been largely silent uh since not wearing his helmet in warm-ups in the first game could i suggest something for him to do that will make him stand out just uh, hold well, the opponent's stick yo yeah i mean he is he more, holding, hold, more holding the stick penalties than hits that have Made mattered a, made a difference 11 penalty minutes in four games of the leaf five of which you approve of though highly yeah we approve of i don't i wouldn't i'm, say not, I'm I not throwing would, you under, uh, throwing yeah you you're really along. you're really I, i'm with you but uh, i I, th- I just think that the the main takeaway here is we need to see more and we're not going to see too much more of that caveman cuff is with me intellectual cuff su- elite liberal elite cuff <laughs> he's he's against it um big picture item we're gonna we're gonna end off the show with Speaking of former Kings, I guess that's the best segue. Yeah, boom, that works. Uh, Jake Muzzin. It was reported on Insider Trading by Darren Dreger right before the game that uh, the Leafs are nearing a deal, nearing an extension with uh, left shot defenseman Jake Muzzin. Um, hopefully for it to be signed pre-deadline, which can really kind of clear up their their plans. And there's there's a just like with the with the Janssen injury, if they get this deal done, and depending on what it is, what the parameters are, we're gonna get into that there's a ripple effect or a domino effect from this that can really kind of reshape how we see this team's blue line. So I'm, I'm interested, but first before we get into that, what, what do you think the parameters are going to be? And then follow up to that. What would you want the parameters to be? Yeah. I wrote about this uh, when the first sort of discussion of this was, was, was happening. And I sort of broke down the money a little bit, including hall Ray halls raise and what Dermot should probably expect. And I think, the upper limit would be giving him what Barry's currently earning, which is an extra two point seven five million. Now that's a lot. Like, that's, like the that's difference. Just, yeah, that's just under seven million a year for Muzzin, which would be too much. 
Ooh, that makes me but nervous. But I think it's going to be hard to get it under six. I don't th- so I think, I think it'll be six. I exact. think six is sort of the reasonable point of entry on this on this deal. Mm-hmm. I you could go slightly more if it's shorter. I think. Yeah, you sacrifice. But you're you're getting into some. Yeah. I think Jake Muzzin is immensely important to this team now and into the future. Immensely. Look what happened when he was out. Exactly, and he is he's sort of one of a kind in this defense. He is as much as intangibles don't really matter all that much he is celebrated for what he does in the room uh it's obvious that he is a immensely intelligent and a mature uh with the way he talks when he has to talk mm-hmm. it's no surprise that when something needs to be said he's the one that is saying it yeah uh he comes out we only hear from him a few times after games and after practices uh in big scrum scenarios but it happens it, there's no coincidence of when it happens mm-hmm. and i'm not surprised we heard from him tonight uh i think that he is he's a bit of a beating the beating heart for this team in in a certain uh capacity and i think you might pay a little bit extra for that but i think you have to also get the term that you want because you can't waste money down the road i know it's all about right here right now for the leafs or at least right here in the next few years for the leafs um but uh it's gonna it's a tough balance and the other part of the equation is that i think he's made it known and not he's not playing games with the leafs i think he wants to be mm-hmm. in toronto i not i'm not sure when that switched because i think well not that it not that he didn't want to be here at the start but i think he was he's very happy in la he was very happy in la lives there in the summer still lots of friends lots of connections Why championship you live connections there in the summer? i mean it's that it's i think la will always be part of him but apparently wants to be here for the long haul. And I think you got to be looking at four times six as something that would work for both. If it was four times six, there, sh- there, there should be no one complaining about that on Twitter. Like there, there will always man, there were people complaining about Pierre Engvall getting a two year, 1.25 mil, like oh, a little bit more that four, four times six would be, I think exactly the right sort of the right bargaining point. Cause I would take him to age 34, which anything, anything past 35 a, you get a weird sort of contract stipulation there on any any contracts, I think, that run past age 35. And also, that is an age that, that makes a lot of people nervous. But but uh, we are we need to ask the real question here is, is it okay to pay a guy that much money who played on the Marlies this year? I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to see that willingness from everybody. I think that should be – I think you sort of – I don't know. There's all these, you know, I don't want to get into under table agreements, but like the way he's, you know, not towed the line, but been a good soldier in every aspect. It's, it's the type of like, we'll take care of you type thing. Look, you know what I mean? They didn't put Mitch Marner in a, in a conditioning stint. They put Jake Muzzin in there because I think he he's willing to play ball. You know? uh, I want to see Morgan Riley in a conditioning stint right before the playoffs. If he's, if that's when he comes back and he needs to be on a LTIR a little longer, I'd like to see him with the Marlies for about seven to ten days. I think that there's, I think, I think game one of the first round of the AHL playoffs. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think game one starts before the first round of the the NHL playoffs mm-hmm. start. I want Morgan. I want to just have the Leafs screw over their first round opponent and put Morgan Riley on a conditioning stint in the AHL. Can you imagine being like the Cleveland Monsters and just lining up and realizing, oh, we're going against Morgan Riley for game one? That'd be great. Um, but how this impacts their left side is going to be really interesting because obviously you said he is the the beating heart of their team. I think that's right. It plays into my, if Zach Hyman had a beard, he'd be the most popular Leaf on the planet. Jake Munson's got a glorious beard. He's got a beard. 
And I think I think you know that immediately adds five hundred grand to his contract right there. But there's a lot of there's a lot like I said ripple effects, uh, trickle down effects, whatever kind of effects you want to say it. If they they have their left side locked up, if they do that, because they have they would have um, Sandin, Riley, and then Muzzin. Who's the one I'm leaving out here though? Travis Dermott. So what do you do with him? I think he's destined for the right side. I mean, I think I mean he's on is Toronto. He not, is he not playing there now? No, no he's, he's, he's not playing. He's not it's playing him. Now. It's still him and Barry. Man. Still him and Barry. They right. didn't listen to us. Uh, no, I mean I think it's eventually going to happen with either him or Sandin. I think, uh, but you have to consider Riley when you're negotiating with Muzzin too. Yeah, because the internal hierarchy is important. I mean, I don't. I don't think Morgan Riley's going to start with anything that's not above what Jacob Muzzin's making. Oh, Morgan Riley's going to make so, like eight million dollars. So a year. you, you, as much as you keep him, that that's it's a little vehicle to sort of keep Morgan Riley maybe a shade down of what he would be as well. So uh, keeping the number low is probably really the most important thing, as low as possible. Uh, how you manipulate the term, I don't, I don't really know how that's going to affect it. it. It depends on what Jake Muzzin wants, but uh, I, I think they're with. CC and Barry coming off with two guys uh, who are going to be part of the pitcher in Liljegren and Sandine on entry-level deals mm-hmm. with Travis Dermott not doing much to to bump his value. I think the opportunity there is there and should be there to keep him. Uh, but keep there's him. there's uh, keep Barry, but there's ob- oh, or okay. uh, Muzzin rather. But there's but there's other considerations pl- in play, and and I think one of them is is what the future is with Morgan Riley. I was gonna say like. This may this could this make Dermot extendable or expe- extendable expendable? I mean, I just I feel like the price point is going to be too valuable, like for too him. kind of tempting. Just to have him another guy who you know he's a major part of what they're doing right now. There's plenty of room to grow. He's young. He's he's young and he's not going to cost much. They need as many guys that aren't going to cost much on their team moving forward, or they can't add that extra guy. Otherwise, you're just paying Muzzin to continue on with what you have, minus Tyson Berry, who just will not fit into what they're doing past this season. But he likes being here. His dog is friends with everyone. But I don't think he likes making, you know, a third of what he could potentially make. Uh, he might not like life on the open market then. But look, Dermot is young. All your all your arguments are right for Dermot. I I agree with that. But at the same time, if you can use him, if you can leverage him as as a piece of a package, and we use this is the the qualifier of any time, any any sort of way that we talk about Leafs trades. But if you have an extended Jake Muzzin, you have your left side locked in, and I understand that you want to have extra guys there. You want to try out guys on the right. That's fine. But if you can use Travis Dermott in some kind of capacity, he's still a 23-year-old defenseman. He's still, you know, a Calder Cup champion. He's still a guy who who was really impressed on his opening kind of stint in the league. Having a locked-in Jake Muzzin kind of makes that a lot easier. It makes you really sort of be able to consider it. A lot of people were, were starting to draft up Travis Dermott's trade proposals before this rumor came out. Yeah, I mean, you could absolutely swing for the fences if you package Travis Dermott with someone from the middle class, as we discussed before, that's likely going to have to mm-hmm. have to go. I mean... There are a few trade proposals that are not, I mean, within reason, that are not, you know, you're not going to just get up and leave from the table or the negoti- or the bargaining table when you've got two legitimate bodies, yeah, two guys that can contribute on any team uh, that you're willing to dangle in a trade for someone who would be more impactful on the right side coming back in return. It would open up a lot of possibilities, but I just worry about... I mean, the guys who are not making a lot that can contribute in mm-hmm. big ways, 
are going to be so valuable to this team as long as they have four guys making $40 million. I mean, imagine if Dermot goes back to being who Dermot was and he's making, you know, for the next two or three years, 1.75. I mean, that's yeah, great value. Exactly. And, and we've, it's, it's hard. It's, we're going to get to the point where you're looking at all these other teams that might have former Leafs. I mean, Connor Brown's not, not haunting anyone, but Nazem Kadri may haunt people when Tyson Berry's not here. And Alexander Kerfoot. I mean, we talked. We heard rumors of Kerfoot for Matt Benning. If you turn, we did Nazem Kadri. It was discussed, I think, on the radio today. Holy moly! If you turn Nazem Kadri to Matt Benning, Ooh. and that is, I mean, that we're will be. Yeah, we're talking Taylor Hall, Adam Larson type downgrading. I would, I would argue assets. worse. I would argue. I so, would argue worse. So I, I mean, that's just a rumor that someone who started who, that. It I was. Don't even it was know. said on the radio. So yeah. someone with at least some following floated it out there uh but that would be a tough look that'd be terrible there's no for kyle dubas if nazim kadri at 4.5 turned into matt benning uh at whatever he's making yeah that's the kind of trade where it's like i don't care how many like what the 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 defense for kyle dubas is yeah you know maybe this thing didn't work out but he brought in jake muzzin and john Tavares and tyson berry and all these uh, you know all these guys but if you doubt, like you said, if you, it, it, it's like the reverse of that eBay thing where the guy turned a paperclip into a mansion by just trading and trading and trading. It's like you turn this awesome asset, this, this 30, you know, this defensive responsible 30 goal center who was signed to a, a, a sweetheart deal. Yes. He got traded because of the, the playoff stuff. But mm-hmm. then again, there's there, you know, it was a very unique situation, but just for argument's sake. And you, then you, <laughs> you trade him down into Matt Benning. It would be awful. That you don't come back from that, I think. And there'd be parallels with Kapanen because there's, you know, ha- what's his conduct like? Is he, is he, you know, are we going to punish him for breaking rules? Whatever. Are we going to get rid of him yeah. because of he's not all the way in? And then he's a star on Connor McDavid's wing. Look, I think it's a different situation. It is different. Kapanen but oversleeping is not going to like screw the Leafs at a two straight playoff series. No, it's definitely not. But. I mean, everyone's everyone's going to be talking about it if he's yeah. the one that eventually goes. Uh, I just, uh, I'm all that Nazem Kadri thing continues to just just bug at you. It's, eh? it's, like it's, it's in it's, the back of my mind yeah. all the time because I know Tyson Berry doesn't belong here in the future, and Alexander Kerfoot is not Nazem Kadri. If they it, if they win a cup though, it's all it like it it, it matters. You know, it it, it, it all it, works oh. out. Yep. But it's we got a long way to go. We and we're we're completely off on a tangent. We are. Uh, but we will have more to discuss for sure. Big picture items because, you know, there's going to be a lot of rumblings from now until the trade deadline, which is quickly approaching. Uh, and who knows? We might have another big deal before this is all over. I'm looking at least for the that. year and then before the stretch run and the Leafs drop two points. But Florida didn't get any. So, so they, they remain two points up yeah. against the only competition that really 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 matters because the atlantic division it looks like there's only going to be three spots mm-hmm. uh with the metro continuing to be uh pretty dominant so the leafs have back-to-back games this weekend which means we have back-to-back pods this weekend just saturday sunday in the office baby oh yeah ottawa saturday bruins or oh, not bruins is it bruins? sabers Ooh, sunday. that's a little are, that's a little different that is yeah yeah <laughs> yeah a little bit of a drop off by the way tangent wise jeff skinner tonight was his first point since december 21st nine mil right 9.5 10, 10 mil Jeez. Uh, um but yeah so it's gonna be back-to-back pods this weekend that is a layup of a of a you know two opponents right there before we go is three points a disappointment yeah yeah you know what? Yeah, at this point, there's no moral victories here. 
you get you get all four points. You're playing the Buffalo Sabers, who are so bad. You had a you had a local New York guy become famous for losing his mind on radio, and the Ottawa Senators, who I believe have lost 15 of their last 17. I think it's something. Winners like, tonight. What? Good for them. They needed it. <laughs> But they're like they're due for a loss Saturday then. Exactly. Well, yeah. If, if we're going if we're going streak wise, then they're due for a loss and another loss and another yeah. loss. Yeah. It's this should be this should be a, a running the table. They should bank four points here. When you're a good good teams beat bad teams. Two must win games. We'll check in on their progress after Saturday night against Ottawa. That's it for us. Bye. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.